Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you all in the house of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> we were not so welcome to all those who are watching us online. It's good to have you all. Uh, may God bless you. Uh, we have been away for a couple of weeks because of COVID. But thankfully, by the grace of God and by your prayers, we've all recovered well and doing fine. I'm expecting my family anytime soon, but I can't see them. But hopefully they're on the way. Um, We are in the series called Moses, Growing Through Challenging Times. Um, And we've been hearing some wonderful insights and principles from our pastors in the past weeks about how to navigate through those times of adversity and challenges. Today, continuing in the same theme, I want to share some thoughts uh, from the life of Moses and from the life of the nation of Israel uh, and the principles that God used to help them survive uh, challenging times and also um, how when the nation or when people took uh, matters in their own hands, instead of trusting in God, things went as they say, south, or things were detrimental. Um, My text is from chapters, Exodus chapter 14 to 17, and as I was thinking about the sermon, um, I was thinking, what could be the title for today's sermon? And uh, these words came upon my heart. The vision, provision, and mission of God's economy. I know it's a very strange term, but... uh, Uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, the vision, provision, and mission of God's economy. The word economy uh, is derived from the Greek word oikonomia, oikos means house, nomos means law. So oikonomia or economy means a household law or household administration. So God's economy would be then God's planned administration or uh, to carry out his eternal purposes in history, in time, and in with our lives. That's called God's economy. Um, and central to this God's economy is the vision, provision, and mission paradigm. Vision, provision, and mission paradigm. Before we go any further, quickly want to go through those definitions for the sake of this sermon. Uh, vision is God's revelation or his self-disclosure of himself, his will, his plans, and his purposes to human agency. That is to all of us. Provision is God's empowerment and the ways and means he provides to fulfill that vision. And uh, mission is the final completion, consummation, or embodiment of the vision that God gives us. And um, so a few more comments on this term vision. Uh, We can... uh, Okay. No, we can do that. Provisions, let's... Provisions are... Provisions of God are embedded within his vision for the successful completion of his mission. I repeat, the provisions of God are embedded within, the, within his vision that he gives us for the successful completion of his mission. A few preliminary points before I go further. The vision has to originate from God. It's not of us, it's not from us. It has to come from the Lord. Second, we are the recipients of that vision. Third, God communicates his vision to individuals, nations at time, and it could be visual 
audio, uh, uh, it could be um, visual or auditory or a textual form or certain imagery. These are the modes in which God may communicate his vision, his plan, his purpose to his people. Uh, the nature of the vision could be uh, uh, different as well. It could be a promissory, like how God said to Abraham, I'll make you the father of nations. It could be um, a theophany, just God showing his glory to Moses. It could be um, uh, something like of a judgment sort. You know, when, Jesus, when God tells to Jeremiah, stop praying for the people of Judah, uh, judgment is coming. There's no point interceding for this nation at this point. So these are all various nature of God's uh, vision and God's plans and purposes at specific times, which he conveys to the people that he has called. Um, and some visions or some purposes can be short-term, some could be uh, pertaining to end times or eschatological. I hope it's clear the whole vision, mission, uh, provision, and mission paradigm of God's economy. So uh, my text covers chapters 14 from 17. So just for the sake of time, I'll quickly run through it so that uh, we can cover that area pretty fast. So Joseph and his brothers enter Egypt in 1930 BC. Uh, the exodus from Egypt under Moses happens in 1440 BC. Uh, in between, there was a dynasty that ruled Egypt between 1700 and 1500s that was favorable towards the, the Jewish people. Uh, but in 1570, a new king comes. He's from the 18th dynasty of uh, the Egyptian empire. And historians say he's likely the pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Uh, after him comes the king Tutmoshe III. He's also from the 18th dynasty. Um, and an interesting detail is this king leads military campaigns from Egypt all across to Sinai, into Canaan, uh, the very promised land that Israel is later to come. This king is doing military campaigns, and he has dominated and subdued and destroyed many of the Canaanite city-states, as we call them. And, um, and, and he has established military bases and outposts all along the way from Egypt along, along the coast of the Mediterranean, uh, which, which we call as the International Coastal Highway. The second king, Amenhotep III, second, he also leads military campaigns in the Levant. This, in, this detail will come in handy when we look at uh, the course of the Exodus. Um, so we see that during the 18th dynasty, Egypt was a very strong empire, financially, military, and by all means. And it is against this empire, uh, the most powerful empire in the late Bronze Age, against whom God commissions Moses to go and deliver the people. Could you imagine the weight of that commission? Go and talk to that pharaoh who is just, who have been like terrorizing, almost dominating all of that Levant and Canaan area. Um, I'll quickly go through. So we know the details. The final plague comes in, and every male from the Egyptian family is killed. The, the Jewish families are spared because of the Passover that they observe. And by, day, by early morning, they leave, collecting silver, gold, and clothes from the Egyptian neighbors. And uh, they leave from Ramesses. Uh, can I have the uh, next slide, please? Yeah. So I tried to make my own slide, so please bear with me. Uh, so they leave from uh, position one, that is Ramesses, 
and they come down to position two, that is Sukkot, and then they are almost at the edge of a desert, while they, and they proceed down to position three, that would be Etham, and then there's a caveat here, God tells them to return back to position four, that's called Pihahirot. It is at this place that they finally cross over, and then along the coast, come down at position five, Mara, uh, and then at Elim. Uh, by this time, it's almost a month and a half since they left Egypt. And then, uh, finally, they, they reach Rephidim. It's three months now. And then, uh, uh, enough of that, at position eight, uh, and Mount Sinai. If you've noticed the one on the top, the purple line, God does not lead them through that route. I hope the reason is clear. The, 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 the empires of the 18th dynasty had created military outposts and uh, garrisons all along the way. It was, a pretty much, it, was a pretty, it was a much militarized zone. So going that way, God knew in his wisdom to not let the people go through that route. Uh, and... Um, we will not dwell into what happens on the purple side of things, but there's this whole loop that goes on. And then finally, uh, Kadesh Barnea would be an important point. And, uh, and then at point Nebo, that is where Moses ends his journey. So now this is the entire chapter. I have covered the entire chapter of 14 to 17. Now let us look at this chapter from the perspective I mentioned earlier the vision, the provision, and mission paradigm. What was the vision that, that God had about Israel? The vision started way early. It began when, when you look at the nation of Israel, the origins of this nation lies in the promise that God gave Abraham. In Genesis 12, we see that the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, I will make you a great nation and will bless you. And when doubts... and Abraham at this point is 75 years old. And when doubts creep in, uh, in Genesis 15, um, God says to Abraham, come out and see the stars. Can you count them? No, sir. Uh, those will be the number of descendants you will have. Uh, it's still another 25 years before anything really concrete happens. And then we have in Genesis 18, the visitors come in and they tell him, Abraham, this time next year you shall have a child. The promise is now coming to fruition and by this time, Abraham is 100 years old. At times, visions, they are discreet, they are hidden, they take time. And in God's economy, uh, and when it, it is the right time when, when God decides to unfold that promise. And then when you come to Genesis 28, here we see Jacob, a continuation of that promise, running away from his house all the way up north from his brother, from whom he snatched the birthright. And along the way, he is tired, and it's nightfall, and he takes a stone and goes down to sleep. That, and when he sleeps, he has a dream. He sees a ladder, a staircase going up from earth up to heaven. And he sees angels descending up and down. And he hears this promise once again. I am the Lord your God of your father Abraham and God of Isaac. I will give you descendants, the land on which you are lying. Your descendants shall be numerous as the dust of the earth. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. He's almost like a runaway, uh, what do you call it? Uh, crying. <laughs> I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. 
I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. A promise was given to Abraham. Lord confirms that, confirms that with Jacob. Then we see, going further, Joseph has a dream, and that dream lands him up in Egypt. We know the story. Then from a prisoner, God, by his providential hand of work, raises him to be the second in command of Egypt. And it is at this juncture that finally Jacob's father, Jacob and all his brothers, they come into Egypt. And they start the journey of 400 years there. It is here in Egypt, of all the places, that Israel became a nation of 1.2 million people from the 70 who came into Egypt. Of all the places, God chose to bring this nation to this particular land. And here they fruitfully multiply and grow into a mighty nation of almost a million people from the 70 that come in. You see, God constantly held that vision, reinforced that vision to those he appointed, and God has been faithful on his end of the bargain. That is the vision component. What is the provision component? Now we see that the people have multiplied in Egypt, and it has become a threat to the Egyptian empire, and we see the atrocities, the slavery, and the oppression that begins to happen. At this point, at the next stage of things, God raises a leader among them, trains him in the best of the imperial household of office that the imperial household of office uh, of Egypt could offer and uses him to confront the 18th dynasty of the Egyptian empire and with mighty acts of divine judgments and supernatural events he secures the release of his people I'm talking about Moses from Egypt and begins the exodus to the promised land when it was time in God's economy God set into motion things that would now go to the next phase how would God provide for this huge multitude of nations now moving from one land, from position one, all the way to the promised land that's way up? God already did. So, first point, God did not lead them through the promised land through the shortest route. We know the reason why. I, I will not repeat it. Um, oftentimes, God blocks those short doors and the shortcuts that we try to uh, use, but God knows in his wisdom why we may not venture in those directions. So God does not lead him through, lead the nation to that route, knowing fully well the entire zone is militarized, uh, with military outposts everywhere, and Moses leads the people down the desert road to the Red Sea. Now when they reach position three, that's almost at the wilderness. Now you have moved out of human habitation, you're venturing into a desert with a multitude of people following you. There are no... Now entering an arid wilderness, there are no visible landmarks or instruments of navigation. How does the Lord provide to this nation? The Lord himself went ahead of the assembly as a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and as a pillar of fire in the night, in the night to give them light and safe passage when darkness pervades the t- terrain during the night. God provided for his people. Then, this is the most surprising thing. Why do you think God asked them to turn back the way they came to position four, which is Piha Heroes? Um, for the sake of time, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll answer it myself. Um, so, God asked Moses to do the most counterintuitive thing to turn back along the way and camp at position four, which is the low lying area between a mountain, a mountainous terrain, and a water body, a sea. Uh, 
to, to the natural mind, it would have been, it would have felt like we are sitting ducks here with, with the sea here and the desert on the other side and an approaching army right in front of you. Um, terrified and fearful, the first reaction of the assembly was, we wished we had never left and we would have died, rather died in servitude to the Egyptian empire. This was their reaction. It is my historical imagination that with the multitude of men, women, and children, had they ventured any further down from position three into the desert, it would have been only a matter of time that uh, the powerful Egyptian, Egyptian army would have overtaken them. Uh, people who have never fought, never held a weapon, never had a war, uh, were no match to the 600-plus chariots, officers, cavalry, and an infantry that was in hot pursuit of them. This army, this, we are, I'm talking about the army that have been leading campaigns all along the Levant and the Canaan region. They are battle-hardened, they are, and with the prestige of the 18th dynasty at stake, they would have been ruthless. God, in his manifold wisdom, positions his people to draw the entire Egyptian army in at a particular location. What did God do next? How did he provide for his people? The angel of God and the pillar of cloud that served as an advance guard for the people now moves back. Now it serves as a rear guard and stands as a buffer between the people and the Egyptian army. They could not close into the people until the people reached the shore. And as instructed, Moses raised the staff and the Lord sends in an east wind, and all through the night, the, the seas parted, and almost a million people made it, through the dry, made it through the water body. And when the last man came in, Moses stretches his hand out again, and the sea collapses back on the whole Egyptian army, drowning every single one of them with no survivors left. Had they pursued down from position three to four, it would have been a different outcome. God, in his wisdom, provided, protected his people from an Almost annihilation. Um, I all, I, my thoughts go back that this could have been a final act of judgment on the imperial forces who many, decade, many decades ago drowned scores of Hebrew babies in the Nile River. I'll quickly go through. And as they, once they crossed over, they, walked, they traveled three days down through the desert of Shur, once they start doing that, the realities of the wilderness start setting in and confronting them. They are tired, they are dehydrated, the trek and the heat of the wilderness is unbearable. It is only a matter of time. They ran out of water. For a multitude in thousands, this is an existential crisis. Just imagine kids, women, children, um, men of all ages. And finally, when they do find a source of water, it's bitter and brackish. An already dehydrated population, if they would drink that water, they would, they would puke more, they would vomit more, and get more dehydrated. How would the Lord provide for them at this crisis hour? The Lord shows Moses a piece of wood, and he throws it into the water, and it becomes edible to drink. Divine intervention saved the people once again. Actually speaking, they were just seven miles away from the next position at 6 Elim, um, which had 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and a much bigger and better sources of water. The Lord's provision was just around the corner when the people began complaining and giving up. Oftentimes, when the Lord is just about to do a breakthrough, we kind of give up. Let that be a lesson to us that God, if he has promised, if we are standing in the vision that he has given us, the Lord is all the more able, willing, and powerful to work for us and for on our behalf.
after leaving Elam, they go through another desert, the desert of sin. It's almost a month and a half since they left Egypt. Now, any food that's left is over, and the people on the road cannot cook, cannot prepare. You know, it's, it's, a, diff- it's, it's a difficult situation. God provides them meat in the evening. I don't know, he changes the migratory pattern of birds. They all flock towards that particular desert for no reason, just to become um, their, their food, food for the people, and manna in the evening. Once again, the Lord cared for them in a the wilderness, in the most improbable situation, feeding them, providing for them. The Lord took care of them. And then finally, when they reached Rephidim, here again, there is no water at all. It's almost three months now. God makes provision for the water to come from a rock this time. And it, at this juncture, another twist happens. They are attacked by a, a, a tribal, uh, armed and very vicious tribal gangs, the Amalekites. And a people already so exhausted, tired, weary, never fought. And um, how does the Lord provide? Moses begins to pray here with his arms lifted up. And he prays such that that even the sun has to hold its when the sun held its place for a time till the battle was won, and the Amalekites could not use the cover of darkness to escape. The Lord provided once again for His people. I, I think that covers the entire chapter that Pastor assigned to me. So, um, so we saw the vision that the, God gave to the patriarchs. We saw in God's economy when God provided, when it was the fulfillment of time for this nation to, to, to achieve its, its, its final completion of the vision. That would be the mission. So the question is, what was Israel's mission? What was the whole point of getting this nation from point one to somewhere up in Jerusalem? Exodus 19, 1-6, and Deuteronomy 4, 5-8, the very clear answers. I'll read it to you. Exodus 19. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you f- obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be... For me, a kingdom of priests. This is the categorical word here. You will be for me the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Second verse, in Deuteronomy, what does he say? When you observe and follow the commands that the Lord gave you, this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations that surround you, who will hear about all this decree and say, Surely this nation, that is Israel, other nations are saying about Israel, surely this nation is a wise, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their God so near to them the way the Lord our God is near to us? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws that I'm setting before you today? The calling of Abraham through the nation of Israel. And can I have the next picture? And strategically placing them in that small corridor, the Canaan, which is the promised land. From where travel, trade, and migration from north to south, vice versa, east to west, and the, the sea tradings. All of this thing happened in that 
unique international corridor. God placed this nation there. Why? So they could be a holy nation. They could be a unique nation, having a unique life. They could be a righteous nation, so that other nations could look at it and be drawn to the God that is so ne- the God of this nation, that this nation would serve as kingdom of priests. What is the purpose of a priest? A priest mediates God to humanity and intercedes for humanity unto God. This was the mission for Israel. As mediators who would represent God to people and nations and intercede for the nations before the Lord. This was the mission that God had for Israel. I hope it's clear. The paradigm for Israel, the vision, the provision all this time, and the final accomplishment of that vision, the promised land, was to happen uh, here. The mission was to be God's representative and to be people's voice to God. Israel, was, as a nation, was not an end in itself, but a means to a greater and much glorious end. Very quickly, let us look through the life of Moses from the same paradigm. Vision, provision, and mission. When we, a lot is revealed when we closely study the life of Moses. The very imperial forces that tried to drown him as an infant. God uses uh, the daughter from the very household to pull him out of the very water and provides him the best of the education and training, both militarily and administrative-wise giving him the skills to write and to govern the people, which in God's providence was preparing him for a future time. And he would be leading a nation, and that he would be giving us the first five books of the Pentateuch. I, scholars argue, but I'm sure uh, Moses was aware of the linear cuneiform script, of the late linear cuneiform script. So God in his providence was working on Moses. In the course of time, he flees from Egypt to the events that happen. And the 40 years of his life, he lives in relative obscurity, traversing through the wilderness of Midian and the Sinai Peninsula. Again, God in his providence was preparing him for a future time when he would shepherd a nation, possibly through the same wilderness area. When it was time in God's economy, God revealed himself through the burning bush to Moses and commissions him as the deliverer of Israel to go and confront the mighty 18th dynasty Egyptian empire. And with that vision, with that heavy load, as they go, what does God provide him with? For the first time, God's name is revealed and his presence is revealed. God provides his very name and his presence, and the promise of his presence to go with Moses in this endeavor. Though very insecure about himself and about his speech, in which he often complains, Lord, not me, St. Aaron, God empowers him so mightily that by his words, devastating plagues came upon Egypt. When he raised his staff, the sea parted, and when he lifted his hands, the sun stood still. He was faithful to the vision God gave him. God was faithful to honor him with the provision needed for the fulfillment of that vision. His mission was to bring, Moses' mission was to bring Israel out of bondage to the promised land and to mediate the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. On the plains of Moab, can I go back? Can we go back? On the plains of, uh, just look at the place right at the top, Nebo. So on the plains of Moab, as he gives his final address to the nation, 
encouraging them to be faithful to the vision God has given to Israel. He instructs them, and then find, and as the Lord told him, he walks alone to Mount Nebo. The Lord allows Moses to have one last look at the promised land, but prohibits him to go any further. It's not allowed. But in his final moment, he got to be with the Lord. He got to experience the presence of God. God himself gave the eulogy, and God himself was his undertaker. Moses died, and God buried him on Mount Nebo. It may seem very tragic, you know, just for hitting a rock, you would, <laughs> you would not be able to go in. How much more cautious we have to be with the vision God places in our hearts. How much more cautious. But God is faithful. Little did he know, he knew that 1,500 years from then, he would stand with the very great I Am incarnate on Mount Hermon. He never, and to be a faithful testament to that experience. Though he could not be, he could not go into the promised land, he was with the one who called him, the one who anointed him, blessed him. One of the most profound statements in the Bible for me is Deuteronomy, is Matthew 4.4, which is actually a quotation from Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live on bread alone, but from every, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Moses in the New Testament. Look at the depth of that verse. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our very life is contingent on the spoken word or the revealed will or the plans and purposes God has for our life. If we miss that, there's no greater loss to our spiritual life. Can we miss that? Is it a possibility? Oh, this is abundant example. Of the people who left from position one, just two made it to the promised land. When they reached Kadesh Barnea, just imagine, 11 days from Sinai, and they reached that position, all the city and states of Canaan are terrified because the, the, the great Egyptian empire that has been raiding them and dominating them has been pulverized by this ragtag assembly, and they are right at the border of Kadesh Barnea. They could have grabbed on to God's vision for them, for, for their nation at that moment. But no, they lost their focus on who God is, and rather were worried about the tall fortresses, the tall people, the tall this and tall that. Couldn't they not go back, have a clear understanding of who is this Lord who led us out through this and destroyed this army in that sea? Could he not deliver them to the, could he not help them gain over to the promised land? Such an important, such a missed occasion at that point. Samson lost his Nazarite vision first before he lost his physical vision. That's a possibility. In two verses, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, or in brackets, vision, people cast off restraint. If you lose focus from God's vision that he has for you, chances are you'll be starting being you start being complacent and throwing off all restraint. Hosea 4, 6, my people allowed, and the logical event that happens later is Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge or the revealed will of God or the understanding of the word of God. 
Unfortunately, we live in a time or in a culture where for most part, God's vision and will for life, human identity, sexuality, marriage, family, parenting, education, finances, civil and political discourse have been thrown out of the window. We have brought into an entirely different vision, an entirely different philosophy that is not biblical. Least I say more, what could be the outcomes and the evidence of what we see. It is imperative that we return and seek the vision God has for us individually, for our marriages, for our relationships, for our priorities that we have in life. It is important that we seek God's vision collectively as a community of believers placed here in Edmonds. And it is also important to return to the vision that God has for us as citizens of this nation. The greatest manifestation of that vision was in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Um, I believe we all read the scriptural reading that we had today. This is the vision for everyone who would come to Christ. He has blessed us with spiritual blessing. He has has chosen us to be holy and blameless. He has predestined us to adopt us as his sons. He has given us redemption through his blood. He has given us forgiveness of sins. And in time, he will bring all things in heaven and on earth to his will and his power. This is a vision for us. And for those who are without Christ in this world, uh, nothing can be of such loss. And for those who are in Christ, a cautionary warning. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. He who does the will of God will enter the kingdom of God. So it's very important we always take stock of our situation, where we are standing in God's will. I believe um, this is what I had in my heart to share. If we are faithful to what God has called us, no matter how difficult it may be, God is faithful to take us through that situation and bring glory to his kingdom, amaze us in the process how this could be, and give us some wonderful testimonies, and everything will work out for the good of those who call upon him. May God bless you. Um, That was wonderful to hear uh, in some level of depth about the journey that these folks had with God. And um, we, in our own lives, um, have journeys in which we have challenges, but by God's grace, he is with us in the journey to the promised land that he has for each one of us. Uh, Let's pray together, um, and then uh, worship team will lead us. Uh, and then we will um, have our benediction. Lord, we thank you for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Finney and for the experiences of life and the knowledge that he has, that he has brought to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand and apply this word to our lives. Help us, Lord, to be able to, with joy, endure some of the hardships of the wilderness with the recognition that one day we will too enter the promised land. In Jesus' name, amen.